is uh, my next podcast. Sorry it took so long. But it's uh, this teaching that I'm going to cover right now involves something that's been always passionate to me, and that's the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the wilderness, and how it relates to us and uh, our body, so forth and so on. So I've titled this teaching, Follow the Pattern Exactly. Now, it's not a totally 100% original. Um, I heard another teacher, another rabbi talking about this, and so I started looking into it, and what I found was incredibly fascinating, and I wanted to share that with you. So let's turn with, uh, start with Exodus 25, 8-9. And they shall make for me a set-apart place, and I shall dwell in their midst, according to all that I show you, the pattern of the dwelling place, and the pattern of all its furnishings, make it exactly so. So here we see that Moses is being told by Yahweh, I'm going to give you the directions and specifications on how to build this set-apart place, this mishkan, this dwelling place for me. Uh, you need to make sure that you do just uh, do not just look at the details and directions and then forget about it and wing it. I want you to make it exactly so. Now pay attention to some of the key elements in this passage. As set-apart place, a dwelling place for the Almighty, in your midst, and that it is to be made exactly to the pattern given on the mountain. And I know I keep emphasizing that word exactly, but there's a reason for it. Yahweh doesn't tell us to do something just on the on a whim, you know, it's always something specific. And it's always for our benefit. You may also want to pay attention to the fact that as you read the Bible a few times from cover to cover, not just the New Testament, and not uh, you will notice that this one thing um, of the very few times that Yahweh allows a human being to view into his kingdom to see something there, I mean, very, very few times in the entire scripture. If this exists in the kingdom... And now Yahweh wants us to build it here. Should we not give it the attention that it deserves and respects? Maybe there is more here than just the tent in the wilderness. Let's turn to Exodus 25:40. So see and do according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. Again, we see that Yahweh is telling Moses to not just build something, but to what has been shown to him by Yahweh while Moses was on Mount Sinai. At the same time, the Almighty was speaking to the people and showing Moses this glimpse into the kingdom of his dwelling. This is also when the people asked Yahweh to stop talking to him because it was too scary, and then proceeded to tell Moses that he should talk to Yahweh, and whatever Yahweh said, they would just do it. Exodus 26.30 And you shall raise up a dwelling place, according to its pattern, which you were shown on the mountain. We are not just to build something, but to raise up this dwelling place. So go back to chapter 26, verse 16. And into the ark you shall put a witness which I give you. So who's this witness? So there's going to be an ark built for this place, and the witness is going to be placed within it. Uh, Hold yourself there here in Exodus and turn over to Revelation 12. I want to show you something. 
and then we'll come right back in a minute. So in Revelation twelve seventeen, and the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to fight with the remnant of her seed, those guarding the commandments of Elohim and possessing the witness of Yeshua Messiah. Before we go any further, I'm going to say that there are there is a connection here that we have to once again pay attention to. There is a connection between Exodus 25 and the witness being put into the ark. And this passage, so what is it that goes into the ark? Well, there's the two tablets with the Ten Commandments that Yahweh inscribed himself. And anyone who follows Torah will know that Yeshua was a manifestation in the physical, meaning one of us, of the Torah. Okay, so he was the living, breathing, walking Torah. And he was the witness that went into the ark. So if the Torah went into the ark, which means that Yeshua went into the ark, and this is the witness. And then in Revelation, that the dragon was enraged with those who guarded the commands of Elohim and possessed the witness. So what is the witness? Torah? Yeshua? the commandments, instructions of Yahweh, this is the witness. Do you see the connection here? Now go back to Exodus 25. Before I move on there, there are three verses to prove that Yeshua is the Torah. And we should do well to remember in case anyone or someone ever asked for proof. Okay, so let's look at first John 14:6. Yeshua said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Psalms 119, 142. Your righteousness is righteousness forever, and your Torah is truth. And then go to one, verse 160, and it says the sum of your word is truth. So both of these verses are saying the same thing, that the Torah is truth. You know, I used to seek for years, Yahweh, just show me truth. I don't want no more lies and speculation or anything else. I just want truth. The reality is, is that when I was studying his word, he was showing me truth because Torah is truth. And then we go into the book of John. And the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us, and we saw his esteem. John 1.14 So we know that the truth that put on flesh was Yeshua. So this should prove that the walking, talking Torah was Yeshua. And if Yeshua is the truth, is the Torah, and the church has disregarded or discarded the Old Testament, which is Torah, then they've basically done away with Yeshua. So which Messiah is it that they are giving you for your salvation? And this is why we need to understand the depth of what truth really is. So let's go back to Exodus 25. In Exodus 25, 21, and they shall put a lid of atonement on top of the ark and put it into the ark, the witness which I gave you. There is this lid of atonement over the ark, and the ark is within the dwelling place. And inside the ark is Yeshua, the Torah, the idea of the witness. When we study the Bible, we need to remember that the physical things are only metaphors for the spiritual. That's very important to remember that. It's a metaphor for the spiritual. So Yahweh is giving this physical place where we are going to put into the physical ark and within it to put a witness within the ark, which is the Torah. 
So let's continue to see where the spiritual connection is made. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 6.19. Or do you not know that your body is the dwelling place of the set-apart spirit who is within you, which you have from Elohim, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore esteem Elohim in your body and in your spirit, which are of Elohim. Now that we are told, hey, do you not know, meaning this is something we really should know, how is it that you do not get this? We are hearing this from the Apostle Paul here saying this, not some other disciple. We are supposed to know that he is speaking again using this metaphor. We are the dwelling place of the Ruach, the spirit that connects us with Elohim. So here we are being told that we are not our own. We were bought with a price, and we do not belong to ourselves. Yeshua paid a price for you. And this is also repeated in 1 Corinthians 3:16 and 17. So it is not the only place that we are hearing this and the only time that it is mentioned. There again is another connection here in Exodus 25. In Exodus, we are told to build a tabernacle, the dwelling place of the Almighty, according to the pattern given on the mountain, and to do it exactly so. Now, maybe I'm way off, but I'm going to speculate that if that was the case with the physical, might it also be the case with the spiritual? So if you are the dwelling place which Elohim is now dwelling in, should you not be building your dwelling place exactly like the pattern given on the mountain? This is what the Torah observance is all about, or should be. You should be building the dwelling place according to the instructions, which is also Torah, exactly the way they were given and not changed or modified. He tells us what food that we can put into our body, what we are to do each day with our body. These are observances that you are to keep with your body. This is the way I want your dwelling place to interact with other dwelling places. This is what Torah instruction is really all about. It is teaching you to do with what he has already paid for. He bought him, He brought, bought himself Sorry, a dwelling place and paid for it with his blood, and he expects it done according to the pattern given on the mountain no less. Now, this is challenging for mainstream Christianity because mainstream Christianity doesn't have a pattern from the mountain because they said that it was wiped away and done away with. So they don't know how to build the dwelling place. The instructions were in the portion that they disposed of and have said that it is of no value. So let's look at how we are supposed to build the tabernacle, the place of living Elohim, and let's look in John 14 and verse 15. Right off the bat, if you love me, you shall guard my commands. Now I read the first because then he starts talking about sending the sending of the comforter. I think this is where a lot of people that have this strange understanding about the Ruach and the spirit and the comforter because they start in the wrong verse and try to figure it all out. When they should be starting in verse 15, and they are starting in verse 16 and bypass the importance of 15. I mean, it's like breaking on in the middle of a conversation because verse 16 is the continuation of 15 and should not be ignored. And that's why we start with, and in 16 we see that there is a clause here. 
that says that if you do the first part, then you will get the comforter. If you don't, the comforter is all by itself here. I mean, following what is being said here and listening, because this is so simple, but many people still trip over it or ignore it altogether. So John fourteen fifteen to 17. If you love me, you shall guard my commands, and I shall ask the Father, and he shall give you another helper, and stay with you forever. The Spirit of truth, and who is truth? We already know that. Yeshua, shown to us in verse 6. Whom the world is unable to receive, because it did not know him, for he stays with you and shall be in you. He is talking about the spirit of truth that is currently with them. Yeshua is saying, look, this is going to be different manifestation of a helper to you. I am a helper to you now, but they couldn't quite grasp that he was leaving. He tried to explain it to them, but they just didn't get it. So what's he saying is, it's okay. I'm going to be sending another helper to you, the spirit of truth that the word cannot understand because it does or the world does not understand because it does not understand me and has rejected me but you understand because i am with you and then i will listen to the end of this i will be with you the problem is that the world saw him but did not see him judah only saw a threat to their real power and authority but they never really saw the fulfillment of yeshua but it says in verse 17, you already know him, for he stays with them. Well, who was with them? Yeshua. And shall be in you. Verse 18 says, I shall not leave you orphans. I am coming to you. So take that, Trinitarians, and try to figure out how that makes sense. Now, I'm not going to say that there are not three important aspects or perspectives to the Almighty. There is the Spirit, the Father, and the Son. But Yeshua is not talking about a different third person here coming somehow coming to you. He was talking in a way that hopefully they could understand about himself. How does he get to live in you through this thing, this power essence? We are just humans here trying to understand in the Creator. We really don't understand it at all. I mean, we're limited. Whatever it is called, it is the Ruach HaKodesh, which means He gets to live in you. Through this thing called the Ruach HaKodesh, I am only, I am really just doing it justice by calling it a thing or power. But in reality, none of those things do it justice to what the Ruach HaKodesh really is. But just try to understand that he, Yeshua, is talking about himself here. Am I wrong? I don't know. He says, I am coming to you. And then he continues in verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world no longer sees me. But you shall see me. Because I live, you shall live. In that day you shall know that I am my Father, in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Again, 
In that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So my question is, where is the third person here? If I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you, there, where is the third person? The Ruach HaKodesh is vital to what all of the Father efforts are, but it is not treated or looked at as the same way as the Father and the Son. I hope this makes it a little bit clearer. Turn to 1 John 4.4. 4. My whole point with all of this is to bring you back to building your tabernacle. And inside that dwelling place, Yeshua is making it clear. He is going to come and he's going to live in there. This backs up what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians. So we really need to be careful with what we do with our tabernacle, our bodies. So 1 John 4.4 4. You are of Elohim, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This is John, and he says that he who is in you, that being Yeshua, is greater than he who is in the world because he... Yeshua overcame the world. When John says that he who is in you, he is not referring to the ghost, but Yeshua. This means by which he is in there through this power called the Ruach HaKodesh. Okay, so he's in you through this through this spirit. Matthew 10, 18-20 And you shall be brought before governors and sovereigns for my namesake as a witness to them and to the nations. But when you, they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it shall be given to you in that hour what you shall speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Ruach of the Father speaking in you. Again, we see this connection of the Spirit working through us, and again, it's not us. It's that Spirit that dwells within the tabernacle, within us. So we see that it is not you, but the Ruach is in us. See the Ruach of your Father, the Spirit of your Father, is giving you the connection to the Father and Son, because you are the Mishkan, the tabernacle. And through the Ruach, the Father and the Son dwell within us. There, I kind of just repeated it. Ephesians 4, 6. One Elohim and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in, all, in you all. So now we are getting to the point where first we started reading in John that it was Yeshua that was living in you. Okay. But now we are being told that there are two places. There is the Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Now let's go over to John 1, 2, 14. I wrote to you, fathers, because you have known him from the beginning. I wrote to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of Elohim stays in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So, you see, the word of Elohim stayed in you. So, who is the word of Elohim? Yeshua. So, here in 1 John, he's telling us the same idea. It's the word. It's Yeshua dwelling in you. It's the Torah that is supposed to be living in you. Let's turn over to 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And because of this we thank Elohim without ceasing, 
that when you received the word of Elohim, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word from men, but as it truly the word of Elohim, which also works in you who believe. When you receive the word, see this is what is supposed to be happening when people say somebody receives salvation. The real moment when you receive the word of Elohim in you, you may not understand everything at the time, and for some, there will be many places along this journey that you understand more and more as you are tested. But you will never really grasp it until you have the word in its fullness, and that fullness is Torah. It's Yeshua, the living Messiah, who died for your sins, who shed his blood, who is also the Torah. He is the walking, talking, living instructions of the Almighty. And it is at that moment that you receive the word of Elohim when you said, yes, I want all of that and not part of it. You have to take all or none. Yeshua does not come in pieces that you can pick and choose what part you want and discard the rest. Amen? All right, so let's continue in John 1. Okay, I, I know this is a lot to, to absorb, but as it comes together, you'll, you'll get a better picture of it. So just bear with me. We've, we're not even halfway through this yet. So 1 John 1, uh, 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with Elohim, and the Word was Elohim. He was in the beginning with Elohim. All came to be through him, and without him, not even one came to be that came to be. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So here in the first five verses, and within them, is the Greek word for for word, which is logos, which means something said, in, or something said, including the thought. So it's more than just a word. It's, there's a thought there as well. This shows us that the word is a part of what the Almighty is, and these teachings and instructions are there to show us how to become like Him. In other words. He is teaching us what it is that makes him who he is. And so he gives us the word to learn from. Now in verse 14, which we mentioned earlier, uh, And the word became flesh and pitched its tent among us, and we saw his esteem, esteem as of only brought forth of the Father, complete in favor and in truth. Now, for all those out there who are listening to this podcast and reading this article, can we at least start to lay the seeds of clarity? You cannot have Yeshua the Messiah be only a man and have him be like in verse 3, all came to be through him and without him not even one came to be that came to be. And yet in verse 14 we are, we are told that the word that created everything put on flesh. So you can't have what you want if you're only just going to say that he was not deity. Look, the words created everything put on flesh. You might just as well throw out John chapter 1 because I don't know how else you can get around that. How does that happen? I mean, sorry, but this is just, this is beyond me. I mean, there's 
certain things about scripture that when we look at it, we're kind of going, I can't quite get it. And that's okay. I mean, this was the creator who gave us this word. And until he wants us to understand it all, we're not going to be able to. And this is the process. So once again, in John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. And I want to connect to that chapter 21 of Revelations because there's, a, there's an interesting point here. So in 21, verses 1 to 3, And I saw a renewed heaven and a renewed earth, for the former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea is no more. And I, John, saw a set-apart city, renewed Jerusalem, coming down out of the heavens from Elohim, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the heavens saying, See, the tabernacle of Elohim is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall dwell, shall be his people, and Elohim himself shall be with them and be their Elohim. Now there's uh, several stage processes going on here. In Exodus, you have the physical tabernacle being built for the dwelling place of the Almighty. Then we transition to find out that there is an actual dwelling place or tabernacle of Elohim. Then we finally transition into the final manifestation when all death and sin is thrown into the lake of fire. And then there is a new heaven and a new earth. And then the Almighty comes to dwell with us. So from this point, I want to give you, the, you an opinion here that at this point, this is the first time that the Father shows up in person, so to speak, on earth. Yeshua says that he came to show us the Father, to point us to the Father. The laws of Tameh and Tahor show that you cannot come into contact with the Father. Sin and death cannot have contact with the Father. So how does he, or so he does not show up until all sin and death is done away with and removed and thrown into the lake of fire. And the whole earth has been purged by this fire, cleanse, mikvad. And then and only then can the Father rule by, you know, come down by his own rules and interact with man. So just keep that in the back of your mind. It has always been the son that has interacted with man on earth. And that was his responsibility. And this is why Yeshua said to the Jewish community, I know that you think you're, you know the father because the Jewish community always calls him father. Christians did not make up that idea. They always say, Alvenu Machenu, our Father, our King. This has been in the liturgy and the prayers for long before even it was ever Christians. Before the Messiah was ever on the planet, the Jews always prayed to Messiah like he was their father. But it was Yeshua who said, None have seen the Father except me. Paraphrasing, of course. So if none have seen the Father, then who was Abraham having lunch with in Genesis 12? Who was Moses hanging out on the mountain with in the pillar of smoke and fire? So if Yeshua says that nobody has seen the Father, then nobody has seen the Father. You can't get around that. This is where the little knowledge is dangerous. We learn that the name of the Almighty is Yahweh, and that the name of the Son is also called, is called Yeshua. So we immediately think Yahweh the Father, Yeshua the Son. But Yahweh may also be the name of the Son. We have verses in Psalms that say, Yahweh said to my Yahweh, 
And verses in Genesis that say Yahweh called down brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah from Yahweh. Am I telling you that Yahweh is almost always seen in the Tanakh? It's actually Yeshua, not Yahweh. If Yeshua says, none have seen the Father, then that's it. That is, you can't get around that one statement, period. So this would also solve the problem of all those who say that Yeshua can't be the deity or divine. Because in Isaiah it says, I am Yahweh, there is no other Savior but me. But guess what? If Yeshua is, Yesh if Yeshua is Yahweh, then this no longer becomes a problem. But this was a huge blasphemy in the Jewish community. They couldn't handle it. How could Yeshua have any claim of being Yahweh? They had no way of dealing with that claim. Yet, is that not what John 1 just told us? Is this not consistent with what's going on? They can and do in different passages in the Tanakh have the same name, but we cannot see it and it is not taught when only one looks at it from an English perspective. And yet when people read passages in Isaiah that say, I am Yahweh, there is no other Savior but me, and then automatically connect that to being Father, and then connect that Yeshua is Savior, is also the Father. But why does Yeshua always refer to his Father as Father? But that leaves us confused when we refer to the Father referring to the Father, which <laughs> then becomes so bizarre and confusing. Yeshua teaches us that there is a Father and He is the Son, and that the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father, and that everything the Father says He does. He teaches us a Father-Son relationship as a metaphor that we can understand. It is not a literal father-son relationship because it is not a fleshly relationship. Again, one of the biggest hurdles as humans that we have to overcome is taking the scriptures and dragging it down to our level so that we can comprehend it. So we take things that are meant for totally spiritual and we put them into physical terms and by doing that, we've completely destroyed the actual understanding of it. So we're talking a, a metaphorical relationship here. So it's important that we understand this because it is the Father-Son that dwells within us through this power or spirit called the Ruach, as we are now um, the dwelling place for that. We are told that a unique manifestation in a unique manifestation that has never happened before or since, that fullness put on flesh in John 1 and tabernacled with us, showing us a fleshly tabernacle for the Almighty that we could use as an example, if you wish, or our tabernacle is supposed to look like. So First John, again, 1, 1 to 2. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness, and announced to you that everlasting life, which was the Father, and was manifested to us. This is not talking about a physical human being, or is it? Can a physical human being be life? 
A physical human being can be alive, but it cannot be life. The reason that I am putting these verses is because they refer to Yeshua as the Word and the Word being life. Revelation nineteen eleven and 13 And I saw the heaven open, and there was a white horse. And he who sat on him was called trustworthy and true, and in righteousness he judges and fights. And his eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, having a name that has been written, which no one had perceived except himself, and having been dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of Yahweh. Right there in verse 11, his name is True, which means that this was Yeshua, which we find again in John 14. Also, he judges in righteousness, which we find in Isaiah as well. Verse 13 tells us that his name is called the Word of Yahweh. So who is the Word of Yahweh? Yeshua. That's it. So John six forty-eight to 56. I'm going to break this up a little bit. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, so that anyone who might eat of it and not die, I am the living bread which came down in the heavens. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. Now, does this sound like a person, a physical, fleshly person? How can a person be the bread that comes down from heaven called manna, and they ate in the wilderness? And indeed the bread that I give shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And Yehudim therefore were striving with one another, saying, How is it one is able to give out his flesh to eat? The problem again is that they weren't able to think in terms of physical metaphors of the spiritual. I know, big terms here. Yeshua therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat my flesh and of the son of Adam and drink of my blood, you possess no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood possesses everlasting life, and I shall raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is truly food, and my blood is truly drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood stays in me, and I in him. Do you follow that? Stays in me, and I in him. We're going to see this again later in John 15, where it says, Every branch in me and stays in me bears fruit, and those who don't get pruned are thrown into the fire. So let's move on. 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because the Father... So he who feeds on me shall live because of me. Now we see that we are separating the two. There is a father and there is him. 58. This is the bread that came down out of the heaven, not as your fathers ate manna and died. And he who eats this bread shall live forever. So by the way, it says here later on in the verses that those who could not listen in verse 66 could not handle this and they stopped walking with him. They could not understand and digest what he was talking about. But this here matches up with what is said in John chapter 1, where he said, this is the word that came down from heaven and put on flesh. This is the bread that came out of heaven and gives life. Torah gives life. Yeshua gives life. 
You have to eat of the Torah of the flesh. What is his flesh? It is the word. It is Torah. In other words, it has been something that you are already feeding yourself every day to fill yourself up. Deuteronomy 8.3 Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of Yahweh. So it is the word that brings life. It is the word that gives you sustenance. Jeremiah 31.33 I shall put my Torah in their inward parts and write it on their hearts. See how this is prophesying about what we read about in 1 Corinthians? It is talking about the time when the Torah would be in our inward parts. What is Torah? It's Yeshua, the living Torah, the Messiah, is inside of you. He physically dwelling place that is meant that which is not flesh. John fifteen four, Stay in me and I stay in you as the branch is unable to bear fruit of itself unless it stays in the vine. So neither you stay in me and then we go down to verse 7. It says, If you stay in me and my words stay in you, you shall ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done to you. Whereas Christianity is skipping the half of the verse, it's not just saying, If you stay in me. And they talk about that in the very Christian way, and then say, And my words stay in you. If you think about what Yeshua says only in the New Testament, then think about the depth of it if you include everything Yahweh has ever said. When Yeshua says, if you love me, then keep my commandments. And Yeshua is Yahweh. That has to be some very heavy meaning. Again, if you only think about it from the New Testament, you're going to miss a lot because he gave all of the commandments. Those who have done away with the commandments, like the Sabbath, the feast, kosher, sabbatical years. I mean, if you look at the red letter Bible and find the commandments, it does not show you a whole lot in the New Testament. And any commandments that it does give you are Torah instructions that he makes harder. Okay, turn to Psalms 119.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and light to my path. So this word, which is supposed to be in us, that we are supposed to be feeding on and filling ourselves with, again, Torah, is that which guides our path. Now think about that in the terms of Yahweh and the tabernacle that is starting with in Exodus. There was a pillar of fire and there was a pillar of cloud that was leading their path, lighting their way that they should go. The tabernacle is to follow the pattern exactly and to follow the path of Torah and the path of the Almighty. So Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Messiah dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing with pleasure in your hearts to the Master in psalms and songs and praise and spiritual songs. Why would you sing a song to Yeshua when the song is written to Yahweh, unless he was Yahweh? And what is it supposed to be in you that is supposed to teach you to admonish you? What are we told all through the Tanakh? that is supposed to teach you and admonish you. The teaching and the instructions of the Almighty called Torah. So he's saying here to let the word, let the Torah, the word of Messiah, dwell in you richly. Matthew 4.19 So I'm saying that we are supposed to follow the pattern exactly, showing that it is Yeshua and the Father that live in you. That 
That is what is supposed to be dwelling in the dwelling place. So let's talk about the idea of following. Matthew 4.19 And he said to them, Follow me, and I shall make you fishers of men. Now, the most places the Greek for follow me is, and in this place, akalofi. I think that's how you pronounce it. Sorry, my Greek is really bad. Meaning to be in the same way with, or to accompany specifically as a disciple. So he's not just saying, follow me, like get in line like a duckling and just walk behind me. Yeshua is saying, follow me. Be in the same way with, become my disciple. Use me as an example, and then I will make you fishers of men. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I know there are a lot of people out there who claim to be followers of Yeshua, but following means being in the same way as or with, by doing what he did and said to do. So it also says that they hear his voice. Which means that if you have ears to hear, and I have had a lot of people tell me that they're hearing the voice of the Messiah, but they do not follow him according to his Torah, so who is it that they are hearing? First John 2, 3 and 4. And by this we know that we know him if we guard his commands. The one who says, I know him, and does not guard his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now that you have your definition of truth, can you see the simplicity of the statement? It says those who say that they know him and do not keep his commands are liars. And the truth, the Torah, the commands are not in them. It's almost like a redundancy in there. Those who do not keep the truth do not have the truth. Those who do not have the Torah do not have the Torah. Those who do not keep Yeshua do not have Yeshua. It's all the same thing. You just have to understand and connect the dots for what the scripture is actually telling us. And this is why, again, if you eliminate half of the Bible, <laughs> you've lost half of the puzzle. You can't complete it. You can't have a complete message. I mean, this is pretty strong stuff, and it bothers me that no one behind any pulpit that I have ever witnessed over the years mentions this. Of course, I mean, they can't because they're on Sunday behind a pulpit, so their own actions reveal the truth. Uh, they would have to ask themselves, first off, why am I here on Sunday when I know it's wrong? And Yeshua never commanded them to keep Sundays. But he did say in his top ten, number four is keep the Sabbath. So all those people sitting there who say, I know him, are lying, according to John. I'm not saying it myself. I'm just reading what the scripture says. For most of them, they have been deceived and lied to. But they are still responsible to find out the truth for themselves. And I'm not picking on the people in the churches. It's not their fault. They just have not been called out of the system yet. They have been so deluded by the lies. And they have been told that they, what they believe that they don't know him. Now take that understanding and go into the chapter in Matthew where Yeshua says in Matthew seven twenty one to 23 Not everyone who says to me, Master, Master, shall enter the reign of heavens, but he who is doing the desires of my Father in the heavens. Many shall say to me in that day, Master, Master, have we not prophesied in your names and cast out demons in your name and done many mighty works in your name? 
and then I shall declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work lawlessness. Now, depending on which Bible version you use or read, it may also say iniquity instead of lawlessness, which will mean not keeping Torah. That's what it means. I'm not making that up. That's, that's what it says. Since Yeshua is the word, he's the truth, he is the law, Torah in the flesh manifested to all of us. If you do not keep all of it, you are living a lie and you will it will be your own downfall. If you do not read the book from cover to cover and you cannot figure out that Yeshua wants you to keep all of it and obey him, then you are reading the wrong book and follow his instructions. This book will not only keep you safe, <clears throat> it will bless you and without it, you cannot achieve what it is you are here to do and to become what he is. The way that you can say that you know him and will know him, that way you can say that you know him and will know him. What did John say later in John 3? We go to 1 John 3, chapter or verse 2. Beloved ones, now we are the children of Elohim, and it has not been yet revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You will finally be like him. This is not the, the verse. This is, this is me. We will finally be like him if we keep his word. But you cannot be like him unless you are already like him. Maybe that's just me, but that's just the way I see it. You can't be like him unless you are doing what he did, keeping the same laws like him, obeying the Father like him, doing what he was told like him, and this being why we are given us why you were given this physical form, to become like him before you receive forever. And just for clarification, the him is Yahweh Yeshua. Let's continue. Luke 9.59 And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Master, let me first go and bury my father. And Yeshua said to him, Let the dead bury the dead. But if you go and announce the reign of Elohim. And another also said, Master, I shall follow you. But let me first go back and say goodbye to those in my house. But Yeshua said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the reign of Elohim. First off, let's get this into context before you start jumping to conclusions about being cruel, about Yeshua being cruel or insensitive. Let the dead bury their own dead is a Hebraic idiom. Basically, he's saying here that his father is old and will not last very long, so he wanted to go and spend some time with him before he passes away. Then he would come to be with Yeshua. The same is true with... But let me first go back and say goodbye to those in my house. He's not saying that you cannot go back and say goodbye to your family. He knew that this would be a problem here. And he first explains it as the last verse we read. It's people who are looking back. There is a problem with people who look back saying, let me go back because they are going to be leaving that behind because they don't do this stuff. They are not keeping the Torah. They are going to be having a problem with all of this. It would be like Lot's wife who turned around to go back to what she left behind. 
and somehow turning around and wanting to go back can only lead to ruin. Yeshua says that once you put your hand to the plow, you cannot look back. He wants us to know that there are no excuses. We all have excuses, and there is no valid excuse that will work in this situation. So let me just clarify one a little bit more. You say the prayer of salvation. You decide that you want to follow Yahweh, that you want to follow and, and get into his kingdom. That's fine. That's wonderful. That's incredible. That means that you're hearing the command, you're hearing the call, and you're accepting it. But Yahweh's saying, once you start down that path, don't start second-guessing yourself. Don't start turning around going, oh, maybe, you know, uh, but it was better. You know, it wasn't as troublesome. There, people didn't hate me as much, and, and, I, and I got to keep Christmas and all these other kinds of things. And life was less complicated when I, before I started doing this. None of those excuses will work. It's the same thing with studying his word. Once you start studying his word, there is no excuse that will be acceptable to Yahweh if you turn around and you decide that, oh, well, you know, I didn't know that or I didn't, I didn't understand that. No. He's going to show you as long as you keep pushing forward. And you cannot say after this, I didn't know. You're still responsible for your own salvation. He's there to help you, but you are responsible. You can't blame somebody else for mistakes or ignorance or rudeness or just plain, I didn't want to do that. I hope that makes it a little bit clearer. It's a lot of responsibility, but the price is, is and, and the prize is far exceeds the, the trials that we're going to go through. And I have to constantly remind myself of that on a daily basis. Basically, now that you know the truth, you have to walk in the truth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Become imitators of me as I also am of Messiah. This is what we should be hoping to do. That is what we are walking the walk. People will imitate you as you are imitating Messiah. We are to be conformed into the image of the Son because the Son is the walking perfect image of walking out the Torah. If we are doing this and others follow our lead, but we are not doing it according to Messiah, then we are leading others astray. Hebrews 6, uh, 6, 11, 12. And we desire that each one of you should show the same eagerness to the entire confirmation of expectation until the end, in order that you do not become sluggish, but initiate those, or imitate those who through belief and patience inherit the promises. This right here is the key. Do not become sluggish and imitate those who through belief and patience inherit the promises. Look at the patience that Joseph had to have on all the suffering that he had to go through and yet to maintain his walk all the way through until he was brought and redeemed out of the dungeons to become a blessing. But he never cursed the Almighty, nor did he ever turn aside and fell into paganism that was all around him. He patiently waited it out, knowing that at some point that what he was meant for, uh, what was meant for evil would be meant for good. In Romans 8.28, And we know that all matters work together for good to those who love Elohim and those who are called according to his purpose. It's just that sometimes it's hard for us to see it. Because we don't have the bigger picture, Yahweh doesn't give it to us because it's probably too, 
too much and we would probably focus too much on the future instead of on the present where we have to deal with our current situations and we would get led astray too easily. In Matthew 16:24, Yeshua basically said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. You have to be able to deny yourself. There are two major stumbling blocks in your success, you and the enemy. And of those two, you are the bigger problem. Everybody wants to think that Hasatan is the bigger problem. But it's us because if you weren't the problem, then Hasatan wouldn't have anything to take advantage of. Hasatan does not work in the way that many people think that he does. He is an opportunist. And if we do not give him the opportunity, then he has nothing to do. Therefore, you are the problem. You need to get you out of the way and let the Spirit bring Yeshua forth so that what is manifesting in you and putting that loud voice in your head, which is you, to shut up so that you can hear that small, still, quiet voice that is trying to get your attention. You have to deny yourself despite what you think and be obedient to what the word Yeshua is telling you to do, period. We are told in Matthew 19 about a rich man who with his love of all his possessions, but it does not necessarily have to be physical possessions. What is it that is causing you to stumble? There is stuff here that each one of us have that we love that we just have to let go, and, and only we can know what that is. That is what this parable is all about. Matthew 7.24 Therefore everyone who hears this word of mine and does them shall be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We are talking about you being the house here. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Your body is a dwelling place of the set-apart spirit who is in you, which you have from Elohim. You are supposed to be that dwelling place of Yahweh. Matthew 7.25 And the rain came down and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. So who's the rock? Yeshua is the rock. Torah is the rock. The same spiritual rock which led them through the desert according to Paul. Matthew 7.26 And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them shall be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain came down, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat on the house, and it fell, and was of a great fall. Listen to what is being said here about the rains, and the wind, and the flood. Your house is going to get beat on. Don't discard this metaphor, because he's telling you that you are going to have people come against you the whole time. I've been doing this for over 30 years, folks, and I'm telling you, it gets easier, but it never stops. You just learn to recognize it when it comes. If you are not grounded and built on the rock with your foundation, in Torah, your house will fall. 1 Corinthians 3, 10-13 According to the favor of Elohim which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But each one should look how he builds it. This is a warning for teachers. For no one is able to lay any other foundation except that which is laid, which is Yeshua Messiah. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be revealed. For that day it will show up, 
because it is revealed by fire, and the fire shall prove the work of each one, what sort it is. So, our work is going to be tested by fire. Does anyone get Deuteronomy 8.2.3? In your heads, when I said that, it says that Yahweh led them through the wilderness to humble them, to prove them, to know what was in your heart, whether you would guard his commands or not. See, this concept goes beyond what is taught in church. We're once saved, always saved. Salvation is a free gift. Don't get me wrong, but when, uh, whether or not you get to keep it, it's up to you. You have to prove it over and over until the time when you stand before him, Yahweh, our Elohim, that you're worthy to receive this gift. Philippines 2.5 Let this mind be in you, which was also in Messiah Yeshua. So let's start at the top with our head and work down. Philippians 2.12 uh, Work out your own deliverance or salvation with fear and trembling. For it is Elohim who is working in you both to desire and the work of his good pleasure. Do all matters without grumbling and disputing, in order that you be blameless and faultless, children of Elohim without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom the shine as lights to the world. Okay, so one last verse here. Ephesians two nineteen and 20. So then you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens and set-apart ones and members of the household of Elohim, having been built on the foundation of the emissaries and prophets, Yeshua Messiah himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the building being joined together grow into a set-apart dwelling place in Yahweh, in whom you are being built together into a dwelling place of Elohim in the Spirit. So grasp this one last thing here. You are being built upon the rock. Who is Yeshua? Who is Torah in the flesh? You are being built upon the apostles' teachings because at that time, those writings, are, you are not being built upon the apostles' teachings because at those times, those writings did not exist yet. You were built on the writings of the emissaries and the prophets in the Tanakh, the Old Testament and Yeshua being the chief cornerstone of the Tanakh. Only he can be the cornerstone because he was the Torah, which is what everything here and everything is based upon. We also see that individuals, uh, that we as individuals, that we are unique dwelling places, but that collectively we are all part of the same dwelling place fit together to make up the one place where Elohim dwells. This is why we are called many pieces, or why there are so many pieces to the tabernacle. Each part has a specific role to play, and yet if one is missing, or can, the connection is missing, the dwelling place is inconnect, incomplete. If your dwelling place is not built according to the design given by Yeshua, then it, is, it cannot fit into the tabernacle, because it is not built off of the same cornerstone. This is why it is so imperative that we come together in unity under one roof so that we can be useful to him who called us. Being kadosh, holy, means set apart, but it means so much more than I, I, I don't have time to go into it. Being kadosh is so much more than just what we term as being holy, being set apart for the purpose of 
being used for his hands for his purpose. This is where we should all strive to be, Kadosh. So I want to encourage everyone who listens to be careful how you are building your dwelling place because you are building his dwelling place and every precaution needs to be taken into consideration according to the blueprint given to us in his Torah. I want to thank you all for listening. I know this is a lot to absorb. I know that I cover a lot of scripture today and it may be a, a bit confusing. So please listen to it a few times if you have to. I'm going to continue a series here about this journey. And I hope you're all uh, listening in and want to partake of that journey. So thank you very much. And I'll see you next time.